Welcome to this presentation on quantitative research. My name is Dr. Lucinda Spaulding. This is part one of two of this presentation. In this presentation, we will review the differences between quantitative and qualitative methods of inquiry, discuss the characteristics and purposes of hypothesis testing, examine commonly used quantitative research designs, review threats to validity, and conclude by looking at various methods of conducting quantitative statistical analyses. Quantitative and qualitative research differ in that quantitative research studies seek to test or confirm research hypotheses, whereas qualitative studies seek to generate or build research hypotheses. Another way of stating it is that quantitative research is confirmatory and the purpose is to generalize findings from a sample to a larger population, therefore a random sample is important. As such, quantitative research is deductive in nature. Qualitative inquiry, on the other hand, is more exploratory in nature. The purpose is to understand a certain phenomena. As such, it is inductive, as the researcher does not develop a theory until after he or she has gathered and analyzed the data. Rather than seeking to test or confirm a theory, the researcher's goal is to understand a phenomenon and then construct theory. As such, the purpose is not to generalize findings as it is with quantitative, but rather to understand in depth. Therefore, a purposeful sample, rather than a random sample, is preferred. A purposeful sample is a sample that reflects the characteristics or attributes of individuals who have experienced the phenomena the researcher is trying to explore and understand. Choosing your approach depends on more than just personal preference. Primarily, it depends on the research question and the type of information you want to gather. If the purpose is to understand the relationship between previously identified variables and to test hypotheses, a quantitative approach is preferred. If the purpose is to understand a phenomenon and to generate theory, then a qualitative research approach is preferred. Furthermore, as quantitative research depends on a priori or previously selected variables, there needs to be a strong literature base on the topic so that the researcher can support the selection of the various variables. However, if a topic is new and relatively unresearched, it may be premature to narrow the focus to only a few variables, and therefore a qualitative approach may be more appropriate. As discussed, quantitative research involves testing hypotheses about the relationships between variables. Most educational research seeks to determine the effect of an independent variable on a dependent variable. Therefore, it's important to be able to identify and distinguish these variables. Quite simply, independent variables are manipulated, whereas dependent variables are measured and they depend, note the keyword here, on the independent variable. Dependent variables are the outcome variables. Take the following research question. Is percent of time spent studying related to test anxiety? Is percent of time spent studying related to test anxiety? The independent variable would be time spent studying and the dependent variable would be test anxiety. In educational research, common independent variables are academic interventions such as a new curriculum or a new program, and a common dependent variable is academic achievement. Variables are measured using different scales. 
Nominal scales place objects or individuals into categories. For this reason, they're also sometimes referred to as categorical scales. Examples would be gender or ethnicity. Ordinal scales rank objects or individuals, however there is no implication of equal distance between ranks. For example, if there may be three students and they may have an A, an A-, and a D. Giving them a class ranking would be an example of an ordinal scale. The student with an A would be ranked highest, followed by the student with an A-, and finally the student with a D. While the student with the A- is one ranking above the student with the D and one ranking below the student with the A, there is not an equal distance between each. This is an example of an ordinal scale. Variables measured on an interval scale can be ordered and there are equal intervals between the units of measurement. Furthermore, this scale does not have an absolute zero, although there is a zero on the scale. However, it does not imply the absence of the variable being measured. Temperature is an example of a variable measured on an interval scale. A ratio scale has a true zero point as well as equal intervals. For example, weight is a variable measured on a ratio scale as zero indicates no weight at all. Variables measured on both a ratio and interval scale are also commonly referred to as continuous variables. There are a few more types of variables. Dichotomous is the term given when data can be categorized into two groups, for example, male, female, yes, no, pass, fail, and so on. Dichotomous variables are often measured on nominal or categorical scales. It's also important to distinguish between independent and predictor variables. Independent variables can be manipulated, for example, treatment administered or treatment withheld whereas predictor variables cannot be manipulated, such as gender or ethnicity. This is why in experimental studies we refer to independent and dependent variables, but with regression, which is where you make predictions, you will often hear the terms predictor and criterion variable. Criterion is equivalent with the dependent or the outcome variable. When identifying variables for a study, it is very important for researchers to be able to not only formally define variables, but also to operationally define variables. Formal definitions are used to characterize, categorize, or distinguish one concept from another. For example, consider the term academic achievement. Academic achievement may be formally defined as ability to demonstrate accomplishment or of some outcome for which learning experiences were designed. However, this is not a very useful definition because it's not measurable. Operational definitions specify how you will define, but most importantly, how you will measure the variables in your study. For research purposes, the variable academic achievement would need to be operationally defined as something measurable, for example, a score in a state standard assessment or GPA. Selecting the correct statistical analysis depends on both the research question and the hypothesis, as well as the type of variables. We will discuss this in greater detail later when we discuss experimental and correlational research. Remember that one of the significant differences between qualitative and quantitative research is that with qualitative research, the researcher does not make and test hypotheses, Rather, the purpose is to explore and understand a particular phenomenon. 
However, with quantitative research, on the other hand, the purpose is to test hypotheses and then make generalizations about the findings. A hypothesis is simply a prediction about how two or more variables are related. For example, third grade girls experience greater test anxiety than boys. Another example would be time spent studying decreases test anxiety. There are two types of hypotheses, directional hypotheses and non-directional hypotheses. Directional hypotheses specify the direction of the relationship, whereas non-directional hypotheses do not. Let's take a look at example 1a. Third grade girls experience greater test anxiety than boys. This is a directional hypothesis because it specifies the direction of the relationship, that is, that girls will have higher test anxiety than boys. A non-directional form of this same hypothesis would be there is a difference in test anxiety between boys and girls. Note that it does not indicate which group will experience greater test anxiety, but just makes a, states that there will be a difference. A non-directional form of hypothesis too would be there is a relationship between the time spent studying and test anxiety. Note that this hypothesis does not specify whether the relationship is positive, that is, as study time increases, so does testing anxiety, or negative, which would be as study time increases, test anxiety decreases. Null hypotheses are just as important as hypotheses. A null hypothesis is a prediction that there is no difference between samples, or no effect of one variable on another, or no relationship between variables. When considering the hypotheses from the previous slide, the null hypothesis for, two, for the first example would be there is no difference in test anxiety between third grade girls and boys. For the second example, the null hypothesis would be there is no relationship between time spent studying and test anxiety. If a test is not significant, if the statistical findings of a test are not significant, the researcher fails to reject the null hypothesis. If a test is significant, the researcher rejects the null hypothesis, or in other words, rejects the notion that any differences or relationships between variables are simply because of chance. It's important to understand that scientific research does not necessarily prove something to be true, but rather indicates or suggests. A researcher can never demonstrate with certainty that something is true, but rather that something is probably true or likely true. This emphasis on the word probably is indicative of the reason you often hear the use of the term probability testing when talking about quantitative statistics. As such, when you are discussing statistical findings, you should never use the word prove, but instead use words like suggest and indicate. To provide a little more explanation, a researcher decides to reject or fail to reject the null hypothesis depending on the p-value that their statistical test generates. The p stands for probability and refers to the possibility that the difference between means is due to chance. If the p-value is set at 0.03, there's a 3% chance that the difference is due to chance. If set at 0.05, there's a 5% chance that the difference is due to chance. In general, if the p-value is below the level of significance that you have selected, then you reject the null hypothesis and conclude that your findings are significant. There are two types of statistical errors, and it's important to know the difference. Type 1 errors are represented by the Greek letter alpha, 
These errors occur when the researcher rejects the null hypothesis when in fact it was true. For example, the researcher believes there is a difference in test anxiety between boys and girls when in fact there is not. The Greek letter beta symbolizes type 2 errors. These errors occur when the researcher fails to reject the null hypothesis when it was false. For example, the researcher concludes that studying and test anxiety are not correlated when in fact they are. There are several ways to decrease the possibility of making type 1 or type 2 errors. One way to decrease the likelihood of committing a type 1 error is to adjust the level of significance. If alpha equals 0.05, the chance of a type 1 error, that is, rejecting the null hypothesis when it is true, is 5 in 100. If the alpha is set at 0.01, the chance is 1 in 100. In educational research, the significance level is commonly set at 0.05. In medical research, the alpha is more often set at 0.01 or even lower, as the stakes of making a mistake are much higher. One way to decrease the likelihood of committing a type 2 error is to increase the sample size, as increasing the sample size's size increases power. Power deals with the level of confidence you have in accepting the outcome of a statistical test. Therefore, as you increase power, you increase the ability to reject the null hypothesis when it is false. Another way of saying it, you increase the ability to correctly conclude that there is a difference between two groups or there is a significant relationship between variables. As the purpose of quantitative research is to generalize findings, it's crucial that the sample is representative of the target population that the researcher wants to generalize results to. The target population in a study is the complete set of people that is of interest in a study. The sample, on the other hand, is the group chosen from the population to participate in the study. While qualitative researchers conduct purposeful sampling to ensure the participants represent the phenomenon being studied, quantitative researchers want to be sure that the sample is representative of the target population. And the best way to do this is to conduct random sampling, also called random selection. The key characteristic of random selection is that each individual in the target population has an equal chance of being selected. Also referred to as probability sampling, the most common sampling procedures for qualitative research are simple random sampling, systematic sampling, stratified sampling, and cluster sampling. You have probably heard the term inferential statistics before. This is quite simply the desire to make an inference about a population based on findings from the sample. For this reason, it's crucial that the selected sample is representative of the population. There are two terms that are very important in inferential statistics. One is concerned with external validity, and the other is concerned with internal validity. They are random selection and random assignment. Random selection is when all members of the population have an equal chance of being included in the sample. This is important for external validity and for determining that the participants in the study are representative of the target population. For example, if the state of Virginia wants to determine if a new curriculum is effective for teaching math to fourth graders, it's important that fourth graders from all over the state are selected, including rural, urban, and suburban areas. 
In this case, the target population is fourth graders in Virginia, and the sample will be only the fourth graders that were selected through one of the procedures already discussed. Random assignment comes after random selection, and it is when all members of the sample are randomly assigned to groups to ensure that each individual in the sample has an equal chance of being in the treatment or the control group. Random assignment is very important for internal validity. Internal validity is concerned with whether the conclusions drawn about the sample are true and valid for that sample. External validity, on the other hand, is concerned with whether findings can be generalized to the target population. A minute ago we discussed random sampling and random assignment. Random assignment ensures that before the intervention is administered, for example the new math curriculum, that the two groups being compared are equal. That is, the group receiving the new curriculum and the group using the old curriculum are equal in ability and achievement before the intervention is administered. If they are not equal to begin with, any differences in the end cannot be attributed solely to the type of curriculum. Internal validity is more important than external validity, or in other words, should precede external validity, as there is no point in generalizing the findings of a study that is not valid to begin with. Threats to internal validity are any variables or factors that may threaten the ability to conclude that there is a cause and effect relationship between the independent variable and the dependent variable. Here is a list of all the different threats to internal validity. History threats are the result of events occurring between the pretest and the posttest that can affect the results. For example, students may have a decrease in motivation due to a particular event or circumstance. Maturation refers to developmental changes that occur as a result of maturation. Testing is when there is an improvement on the post-test simply as a result of taking the pretest. For example, students become test-wise. Instrumentation refers to problems measuring the dependent variable. For example, there might be an unreliable instrument, there might be different observers, there might be different directions given to the students when administering the test. Statistical regression refers to the fact that individuals scoring very high or very low on the pretest will tend to have scores closer to the mean or the average on the posttest. Differential selection is a problem when random assignment is not used because groups may not be equivalent before the intervention is administered. Experimental mortality is a threat when participants drop out of the study. Mortality refers to dropping out of the study. It's important to be certain that dropouts do not have all the same characteristics. Otherwise, there is a threat to validity. Selection maturation observation is when one, one group may mature faster than the other. For example, if you're comparing males versus females, females might mature faster at a certain age period. Treatment diffusion is when both groups become aware of the treatment. For example, one group talks to another group about the treatment they're receiving. Compensatory rivalry is also referred to as the John Henry effect, and it's a problem when participants are aware that performance is being compared, so participants exert extra effort. For example, participants that are not receiving the, the, the intervention or the program, they might try harder than normal, which can affect the results. Resentful demoralization is when one group is aware that they're not receiving the treatment, so they feel demoralized. For example, they find out that they're receiving a placebo. 
A statistics threat can include multiple different problems, such as a sample size that's too small, for example, true experiments require at least 15 participants in each group. A low response rate on a survey, such as a 30% return rate, would also pose a statistics threat. Compensatory equalization is a problem when the researcher or the experimenter feels compassion for the control group for example, the group not receiving their treatment, and therefore they attempt to equalize the treatment to make it more fair. Most threats to validity can be controlled simply by using random assignment to ensure that characteristics are spread evenly among groups, and by having a relatively short period of time between the pretest and the post-test. When threats to validity cannot be controlled, researchers should discuss these threats as limitations to their study. Threats to external validity are concerned with whether or not the study's findings can be generalized to the target population. Population validity deals with the extent to which you can generalize from the specific sample to the target population, which again is why random selection is so important. Personological variables deal with the possibility that various personal characteristics of the research sample may interact with the intervention. For example, the results may apply to participants with certain characteristics, such as people that are extroverted, but will not apply equally to those with other characteristics, such as introverts. Ecological validity deals with the researcher providing explicit description of the treatment so that it can be replicated exactly as it was the first time. This concludes the end of Part 1 of this two-part presentation on quantitative research.